Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Rural Requiem. We're so glad so many of you turned in for our first real episode. I'm so glad that you're back. So, it's a lot going on. I've got a lot of uh, people coming on to the program uh, coming in the next couple weeks. And I'm pretty thrilled about a big old trip I'm coming. Uh, taking down south and I'm going to be interviewing some people I am pretty thrilled about all that yes um, more on that trip later so I am pretty excited about our direction but I just kind of want to lay out continue this process of laying out kind of my ideas of you know where I'm biased potentially but I kind of think it's kind of funny um, the way I look at things is very um, specific it's come to this not um, well often not very willingly when that's like most people right most people just don't want to change takes a lot to change and I had a lot of reasons to change a long time ago and maybe someday we'll go into all of that but um, let's start here so this is actually an article um, I'm going to kind of use as a springboard that I wrote at the beginning of this year or sort of uh, January 29th and most people will know the topic that um, you know was the springboard for this which was when um, Spotify pulled Neil Young's music at his request after he uh, blasted Joe Rogan's podcast um, yes and there was a couple of other people that uh, followed suit you know so this article is called don't burn the library down which is interesting right People go like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let's see. Let's see. I, I'm i going to be very intrigued how this goes, right? Because it's not about looking backward, but this is about laying um, a bit of a system so that everybody knows where I'm coming from. Okay. So, um, like I said, um, Spotify had removed Neil Young's music at his request. And the outrage and deletion culture continues. It's like we're burning the whole library down because it has a fiction section. Well, let's put it this way. Outrage and the need to eradicate the voices of others is not owned by either fringe. Both sides want to burn the library. Yeah, don't let anybody fool you. You know, this whole culture and clash is not one from one side. Um, the people that want to silence other people is not coming from one side either. Um, it is definitely um, everybody it seems like on these fringes, the loudest part of them are absolutely using the same tactics uh, for whatever reason. I think it's probably because they work to a great extent because they are driving um, the politics, they are driving our culture, they are driving 
our society. Well, while one side wants to burn the fiction section, or they'll pack up their party supplies, the other wants to burn whole sections in nonfiction to protect themselves from tough truths. Our culture has turned into a temper tantrum tempest. When we should be steeping our tea, we're breaking the teapot and the whole tea set. Why spend any time with our own thoughts and feelings before blaming both on anyone and everyone else? That's really what it comes down to, isn't it? I think a lot of folks believe that their feelings come from other people, especially the negative ones, right? The negative feelings, you know, anger and sadness and, you know, um, all of that dark stuff. But it's absolutely, in my belief, <laughs> not the case. Now, you know, people can disagree, that's fine, but that's just been a long-held belief, and I absolutely believe it true. Just think about it for a bit, about feelings and, and that somebody's going to just insert them somehow into you and you're going to feel them. Now, certainly we can be infected by other people's moods and emotions. We absolutely can. We can be, you know, triggered by what's going on around us, by events, by just seeing people. You know, we, um, we want to make sure that we understand that whatever feeling comes up as a result of it is our own, right? And that has helped me figure my way through some very tough situations. So no responsibility is necessary in this sick blame game culture that stinks of self-righteousness as much as it reeks of burning sweaty apparel that is on the new banned list because an employer made a decision to protect their employees as well as their employee health care plans. Of course, I'm talking about right there is the whole, I believe it was Carhartt. Everybody was burning their expensive, you know, I mean, this stuff is very sturdy, very good in a winter storm um, or, a, a, you know, deep freeze. But everybody got very upset. This has happened how many times? I mean, going all the way back, since I can remember, to, you know, the uh, September 11th, um, you know, I remember them all burning the Dixie Chicks um, CD because they dared to um, have a different opinion than uh, George W. Bush. I mean, shame on all of us for uh, piling on the Dixie Chicks, you know. Um, but this has gone on throughout our society, actually, throughout time, that we have um, uh, tried to um, burn things or um, tried to just eradicate what we, what makes us feel bad or what reminds us of something else. It's not like that same company had both a religious and medical exemption. You know, just like the the mandate that was tossed out of the Supreme Court had exemptions, making both not actual mandates at all. And this goes to how dumb the Democrats have really been about all of this, right? They label things uh, what they are not, and then the Republicans run with that label as negatively as they possibly can, even though it's not real. You know, we can go into these, you know, what I mean. Republicans really love sticking it to the libs, and Democrats love sticking it to the Republicans. It's much more than just the politicians doing it, too. I mean, you see it a lot of places, um, at least I have. Meanwhile, our rural communities and economies continue to shrink, while the people running those communities demand nothing from their own state legislators and their own federal representatives. Now, there are some really notable exceptions, I gotta say. Uh, there are, you know, um, I've been watching a number of the, um, um, these, they call them forums, where they just answer questions. They cannot, you know, attack or confront their opponents 
which I think is kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity to hear even these Republicans in these, uh, you know, districts down here, what they have to offer. And, of course, everybody puts their best foot forward. But some of these, uh, you know, Republican legislators do offer quite uh, more than you would think. But they have to be very limited in what they do offer. And, and that's the problem, in my opinion, is that we've been so limited and, be, and we're limited for a reason. Of course, we're not going to get into that, right? So, too often, the demands are made of elected officials elsewhere. Well, how convenient. No tough conversations. No need to become well-versed in why the community is shrinking. There is no question as to why these local elected officials come back election cycle after election cycle from the same party with the same policies and rarely have new and exciting results to share. Except for that it's much worse and it's somebody else's fault, right? It's because they have nothing new and they have no results to offer. At least no good results. You would think that we would have learned that if these people aren't able to get something done and, and move the needle in a positive direction in our communities that we should maybe think about doing something different. However, what is the alternative? A political party that doesn't even bother to show up? I don't know. Growing groups of American voters seem to have bought into even this transparent failure even more quickly than ever before because they continue to struggle and in both old and new ways. You know, for many Americans, they have never experienced this level of sustained inflation across nearly every sector of the economy. Do they even care that it's a global event? No, probably not. Would it matter? Should it matter to them? You know, I don't know. It depends on your level of uh, desire to get to see the picture clearly of what needs to be fixed, um, how it can be fixed, and, and really um, what is the source of it and what is the fuel of it, right? That's how I look at a problem. It's like, what are the, the input streams, right, that are fueling it, right, or weakening it, potentially, right? And then what are the output streams that from that that are creating problems? You know, that's how you, you, you know, at least in science, you know, you determine the amounts of, of things. So you're like, we have this amount coming in, we have this amount coming out, so we got this much going on in between. It's kind of like a chemical reaction. The harder pill to swallow is that our nation, our culture, and our species have largely failed to confront this pandemic successfully. This is despite having stunning technological leaps forward, a more connected global community with a global pharmaceutical supply network, and despite having more knowledge about our immune systems and viruses than ever before in human history. Now, when you think about it like that, it is a shame, isn't it? So the scientists and public health experts couldn't communicate well with each other. Not, they didn't also have enough data. Um, there just simply isn't enough data. It's not good enough data. It's not getting to them, uh, you know, quickly enough. Um, and um, if you don't have good data as a scientist or a public health expert, you know, making policy, you're in trouble. Uh, because then you're making decisions based on something that's not giving you a clear picture. Um, here's another point. Those same professionals couldn't communicate very well with legislators and policymakers that were leading people through the pandemic. Yeah, they could not. Uh, you could see the whole breakdown with, you know, within the Trump administration. You know, and I really do think, you know, on some levels they did try really hard on some things. Um, but, you know, when your instincts are just to do the exact opposite of what you're told you know, just like a kid, uh, it's really hard to break through that uh, resistance. Here's another point. Those legislators and policymakers weren't used 
to leading the people at all. In fact, most of them are led by the latest spiking outrage of their support groups. I mean, voting blocks. Very, very interesting point there. We'll go into the, all of these in detail in a moment. And here's the last point. And the people who have been overworked, underpaid, and without affordable health care and other benefits for a long time were also without a basic education in public health and so many other critical prerequisites that are critical in digesting and discussing these with family, friends, neighbors, and school, county, and city boards. And of course, I did have a whole piece just come out about the uh, school board in Mattoon yesterday, but we will be getting into that on another podcast, most likely. Um, so, these are very interesting, right? I find all of that very interesting. So, these points, right? Why did I put these into different points? Well, like I said at the beginning, if you don't have good data, if you're not getting it quick enough, then as a scientist or public health professional, you are flying blind and you have to go with just your gut instincts and your experiences and your previous knowledge about these similar kinds of things or what you think would be similar. And I think this is one of the problems that we've seen with COVID-19 is that it is so different from so many other uh, viruses and, uh, you know, it attacks the person, you know, infects the person through many different areas, right? And, you know, the most common one, obviously, is through our lungs, you know, but it also can go through, you know, your your eyes, they have found, you know, that are, um, you can ingest it as well. You know, there those multitude of ways, I think, will end up being critical to understanding how the disease progressed in those people, perhaps, right? If they had a extreme um, experience with COVID, you know, like we're talking about long COVID. Of course, I've had long COVID uh, for going on. So it'll be two years at the end of the summer. And, um, you know, we're just trying to get by. You know, my mom's got the same kind of thing. It's so interesting that we have the same kinds of issues about the same kind of time. Um, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I have none. They are, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a very patient person, and I'm also one that just keeps working at it. Um, so the other part is this communication issue, which I, I find um, is, is very important. I don't think these scientists and public health people that we had in place. And I, I think this was true in the Trump administration as well as in the Biden administration, that these folks were just not um, well-versed enough in what they were trying to do and how to communicate it effectively to, number one, the people in charge um, that were making the decisions, and number two, to the public. Uh, it's, you know, not everybody can take science and bring it down to a level that anybody can understand and appreciate. You know, there that's a gift. It really is. Uh, but that's what you really want. I mean, I remember as when I was a public health educator, I um, had the luck of being next to a, um, well, we had, I had an Indianapolis Colts cheerleader as, you know, we were doing sex ed, um, actually. And I'll tell you, the, we needed this in these schools in Indiana. And, of course, sex ed was illegal, so we had to do it under the health education umbrella. Um, you know, uh, but the, the um, STD rates and the, um, the pregnancy rates in these middle schools uh, were through the roof. I mean, it was awful um, for the kids. I mean, could you imagine? And so we had to do something about it. The schools had to, you know. And so we've developed this program. I'll tell you, we were a stellar duo because not, um, you know, we had the attention of the kids from the beginning of the class to the end every single day. And um, yeah, I miss Brandy a lot. She's good people. So 
yeah, communication is key. And oftentimes, I think it's, you have to, as a policymaker, think about a, how the information may change and shift way down the line when you make a statement um, and when you preface things. And you can build and you can educate people in a way so that they're on board at least your way of expressing things and, um, and your understanding of the situation and the problem. I think that's what was missing here. And I think when you get down and you try to be more, you know, um, authentic or real um, and maybe not be so perfect, you can ferret out where your mind wants to go with the language and then figure out what is counterproductive and what is not. You have to really work at public health messaging because so many messages for, present themselves as an opportunity for a person, especially in our country, to resist, to push back because people don't like to be controlled. Um, and we live in a free country, or you know, that's what the, the goal is, the aspiration. Um, and so when people are told to do stuff, they don't like it. They hate it, in fact. Um, and when they can't see something, and that's what public health is always about, usually, just you can't see it. You can't see a virus that's airborne. Um, you know, it's really hard to get these people to get on board unless you can make it tangible for this person so that they can they can um, feel it in their gut, feel it in their mind, feel it in their heart. Um, it's it's a it's an, it is an art form, uh, public health messaging. Those legislators and policymakers weren't used to leading the people at all. Now I think this part is really crucial. In fact, most of them are led by the latest spiking outrage of their support groups. I mean voting blocks. And this is exactly where we got into real trouble. You know, in, in the absence of, you know, the good messaging, in the, in the absence of uh, the good data, you know, to make good policy and enough data, what we were left with was just the politics, which, uh, well, the Republicans are much better at than the Democrats. And not so much to help people, but to help themselves uh, to more power. And you saw this in the outcome of the election, too. You know, you know certainly Trump lost, but, um, but with the House and Senate races, I mean, it got much closer. Uh, they lost House seats, the Democrats did. And it's mainly because Democrats are terrible at um, doing anything pretty much in rural America. I mean, they don't even try, basically. Um, in some places they are trying, I know, but it's not going to, it's not soon enough and it's not going to, uh, the results are not going to be seen in this election cycle. And that means that they'll likely just give up. And what has to happen is you have to back up the, this, uh, this cycle with next cycle and the cycle after that. You have to build, not just forget. And that's our problem. So yes, uh, so these legislators and policymakers also are not leading, but they do know how to more easily manipulate their flock of people, you know, and each one is so good at, you know, they're, oh, we can highlight this issue here and this here, and that will get these people outraged and they'll do this over there. And uh, with the pandemic, it was, tragic what happened um these rural areas are just um a lot of people missing um a lot more people per capita than in the urban areas unfortunately but it's not over yet I mean, it is just about they they you know we barring any major variant um you know coming out that just shocks us all and it, it probably will at some point you know, it's bound to happen. And then this last one, and the people who have been overworked and underpaid and without affordable health care and other benefits for a long time and without a basic education in public health, I mean, 
Uh, I think we all probably realize that we should have had more of an emphasis on on health throughout our lives. Uh, we've kind of left that to our parents, right? But our parents are now working more often, and so they're not really there. You know, often um, it's um, somebody else that has to feed the kids or um, they're, if there's even food for them. I mean, right now it's going to be a real struggle, I bet, for a lot of, a lot of folks this year. Um, yeah. So one of, that's where I think the hardest part of this, because when you think about the mass, the people, um, they're in a tough spot, and it is hard to get them to, to when they're not working, to sit down and, you know, read a massive book. You know, who who sat down and read the Mueller report besides myself? Um, not very many. But it was well worth the read. It really was, because then you actually know, as opposed to talking out your ass. So, um, all right. So let's continue. So that's your four basic kinds of, I'd say, root problems of what happened, um, what was happening with this, um, with the pandemic. Really, you know, that's where it all broke down, and it was all four of those very much, absolutely. Um, to play. It's not as if the professionals prepared the American people for the swift and massive changes in their lives over the last two years, or prepared them well enough for what was predictably going to be an evolving situation with information that would be changing their guidelines and best practices regularly. Yeah, all of that was highly predictable. It was. I mean, I just can't believe that. Just... Sometimes, you know, some, the smartest people can just be so blind and just not see what's coming. And, and it's, that, that's part of being, uh, having a lot on your mind. The level of change that was demanded of all of us is difficult enough in a private setting. With someone you trust and with a skilled professional that is not stressed out from fears of getting sick and dying or being able to pay their bills. And this absolutely is a statement about something very, very clear. Uh, we have, you know, we put these workers, they call them essential workers, in very difficult, very dangerous situations. And, um, you know, and here they're supposed to be helping us, right? And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have the internet that could actually do a telehealth uh, kinds of, you know, um, situations with your doctors, then you were lucky. But how many people have have access to all of that um, and and the time to do it? Not a lot of people. Um, yeah, and it's it does require change. Requires a lot of effort on our part and on the part of other people. We have to be patient with ourselves. We have to be patient with them. And we've got to be patient with our whole system as it adjusts to us changing. You know, the whole, you know, I, you know, ideal in when everybody's changing is that we're all in it together. But that has, um, that ship has sailed for a while in our culture. All of this had to be done in isolation for many or for others in households with way too many people in them and in some cases with volatile and potentially dangerous and hostile people. You know, I really uh, was, you know, after I nearly, you know, bought it and my dad died, I, um, I was lucky, I guess, you know, that I had been through it, you know, um, even though it, I still have lingering problems. But then I was able to, you know, without much fear for myself, or for infecting other people, get back to my life. Um, but if I hadn't gone out and, you know, really, really um, stretched myself to do so, um, and uh, socializing and things like that, I don't think I would have made it. Um, I don't think I would have. I needed those people. I needed those connections. You know, and. and 
living by yourself is so different than living with a whole bunch of people. If you live with a whole bunch of people, man, your risk factor is through the roof. But your if you live by yourself, you're on your own, but you have so much more on your shoulders too. So it's everybody thinks that they have it the worst. Well, it's like we're all we all have it bad, right? Um, in situations like this, and we need to not always be playing a contest and see who has it the worst, right? Just acknowledge somebody's suffering and pain and their and their what they've put into it, you know, to try to get better. Many of the methods that most of us have developed to mitigate our stress and anxieties and other potentially damaging responses to living in today's society pre-pandemic, well, these methods of self-care were now wiped out for us. That's kind of the stuff I was talking about, the socializing with people, you know, in my neighborhoods and stuff. Um, it was gone, right? Um, either by local orders or by the shame and guilt that was spreading all over social media like a wildfire being blown by the winds we've all felt lately. And you all, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, you know the, the shame and guilt shit that some people, certainly on the left, it seemed like they were more on the left people that were just so obsessed to make sure that everybody, if you did, if you did any of these pandemic things wrong, that you were going to get your ass railroaded. Uh, you know, you're going to, you <laughs> and on the other side, if you dared wear, wear a mask or, or, or abide by them, man, the, the same thing was going to happen. Isn't it amazing how they have the same tactics? Huh? Just from disagreeing. So funny, huh? So if you were being judged by your closest friends, who you wouldn't see for a year or more, you were being ridiculed by your neighbors who never knew you at all for positions you never even uttered. I think many people know exactly what I'm talking about. It's disgusting, the culture that we have descended into long before the pandemic dropped the curtain and we discovered that the haters who hate each other so much are really very similar in so many of the worst ways. The one thing they all agree on is that they enjoy eliminating people, not simply from their lives, but they have the need to eliminate them from all of our lives. They don't see people they disagree with as fellow human beings or fellow Americans and don't care to ever understand anything about them either. I think that more people follow that noisy herd in fears that it might turn around and come after them next if they do not follow it, right? In fact, I've witnessed it myself time and time again, haven't you? You know, I've called this the COVID knot, right? They will repeat conspiracies, right? They will even make statements that they know are not true because it's about their own medical history. As the knot unwinds, the truth begins to reveal itself a bit at a time. It often ends in the shedding of some tears. Uh, it's not easy to put on a front in order to placate your friend and neighborhood circles so that you can maintain your mental health and self-care routines. And we all know the people that make all the noise require so much reassurance of their positions on all of it. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, I doubt they'll read this. And I doubt they'll hear this. And I doubt they'll agree with it either. And that's okay. That's fine. I don't need their fucking agreement. I still share a common thread of humanity with all of them. And so do you. You know, may we not burn down the entire library just to make believe we're so separate when we know we're not. If anything, the last two years have taught us it should be that we're all connected. And we are. We are. Oh, you know, I really like this. This article's really nice. I like it. Yeah, you know, who knew that this came out of that Joe Rogan stuff? And I like Joe Rogan, you know, feel, gosh, heaven forbid. Uh, you know, he's not a scientist. He's an entertainer. And he has a way of, you know, bringing certain things out of certain people that wouldn't come out in certain 
you know, interviews with other people. I just think we have got ourselves in a real, uh, you know, kind of set of situations that kind of feed on themselves. And we can do better. We should be doing better. You know, we just had the G, you know, GDP numbers come out for the first quarter, and it was the, a, you know, like what, 1.4% decrease in uh, economic output. I mean, I saw that one coming. I was hopeful that it wouldn't be, but that's a pretty hard, that's a pretty good dip. Uh, of course, there's some people that immediately want to capitalize on it uh, politically. Mary Miller was one of them. You know, she claimed that we're in a recession, even though we're not. Um, that's not the official definition of what a recession is. It takes two, two consecutive quarters. Oh, man. So, I just believe more. I believe more in people and I believe more in ourselves. That we're capable of so much more, you know. And we all know we've all been through a tough year, you know. And if anybody should be having some patience, be the person leading the whole country and the people, you know, trying to help. And that doesn't mean you, you let them go on everything, no. But that means you, like, support them and try to, you know, in your heart, think that you hope that they're successful. I sure as hell hoped Trump was going to be successful in beating the virus, and he sure as hell wasn't, you know, and I lost my dad. Um, you know, here's another something from, um, it's kind of similar. It's actually about that, <laughs> where we are in Biden's tough first year, and it's kind of similar. There's a, you know, the feelings regarding where the country is and how we talk about it. I mean, I'm kind of getting choked up at the moment. Compounds, yeah, so compounds when considering where many fear we are heading, which is the wrong direction. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that think that and are listening to this. There is no denying that stress and anxiety that I've witnessed wherever I've been. The long-term impacts of these bunker-like conditions in our minds is not unknown. Cognition, memory, retention, and emotional regulation have all been directly affected on a macro scale but spark a process happening within each of us individually. And I did spend a lot of time to try to think of how things were being affected in, in each of us, how our brains were being affected. Because I, at my job where I was HR director, um, I was seeing not only in myself, especially myself, but, but also in every person I came in contact with that there was just these common and common threads of of problems and issues that um i i could see and i put them back to those issues that i just outlined you know the struggles obstacles challenges and threats that our nation and her people face today have not relented with legislation executive order public health guidance or learning from our own direct experience it's true, many people are upset. Makes sense they would focus their ire on our political leaders. Leaving blame to the side for the moment. I think Biden has handled it pretty, you know, these huge issues, things that we haven't dealt with since World War II, really. Uh, I think he's held it with, you know, done it with grace and compassion and empathy more than he's ever gotten from most of the people um you know we used to be so much better to each other and, uh, and america used to be a, a place where you could count on each other to be there for your neighbors no matter what their political affiliation or who they happen to believe and i still think that's the case mostly but it has taken those those ideals that we have you know they have taken a severe hit. They are certainly tarnished. The pressure of more long-term threats of an extended pandemic are beginning to surface into our social conscience. Quantifiably as inflation in our economy and daunting as is the labor shortage. 
None of the most challenging issues facing us today have yet to enter the political conversation as anything more than a blame game opportunity. And still today, this was in January that I wrote this one, and gosh darn it, if um, nobody is talking about the solutions yet. You know, you drive anywhere in rural America and speak out about the hot button issues, you've got to be prepared to have some outstretched hands and willingness for open hostility. It's a thankless job. I talked about some of that hostility and I take, see, I take what I write and I literally apply it because you've got to have patience for people, you know. Um, you know, nearly all of us live in communities where they have fuck Biden flags flying around on their emotional compensation wagons. Yeah. It's tough for them. It's tough for those guys. I know that. I mean, gosh, could you imagine having to do that? Have to put that big ass fucking, <laughs> fucking flag on your damn truck and then roll around town like a fruitcake? I mean, give me a fucking break. It's tough for us, man. We're in the same political economic culture that is failing as these fuckers, right? It was failing long before 2021, too, right? Before the pandemic and Trump as well. All rule. Rural communities were failing a long time ago, right? They were. They were. Uh, and they were failing before Obama, too, people. Come on. Um, and before Bush. This is a long, long problem. A uh, long-term problem. We have been, you know, struggling to build our population for decades. In fact, this hasn't happened. And instead of doing anything different, what do we do? It's the same bullshit policies that these people come up with. I mean, come on. I'm impressed that so many co uh, counties have actually passed a, a school sales tax referendum. You know, that's actually impressive in these rural counties. But you know why they had to do it? Because the state wasn't getting them the money. And, you know, thankfully we're in a much better position now than we were four years ago before Pritzker. Uh, he won't get any credit for that. That's for sure. But we are in a better position. But before then, they needed to raise the uh, sales tax to raise money. Uh, they needed to raise property taxes. You know, that Darren Bailey gets, you know, uh, raked across the coals for that uh, daily on those commercials. And you know what? He well should. Nothing he does makes sense. Uh, nothing he does is connected to one, one thought to the next, you know. You know, one job went school board where he raised property taxes and then to the next where uh, he had the opportunity to do to raise um, revenue for, and spend more money for schools, get that to these local communities so that they could lower taxes. And he didn't do it. He voted against all three of the bills. Now it's probably four or five. So, uh, well, I'm... Uh, Many of these folks aren't used to having anyone invest in them. And this, and this is where it comes down. This is what we need to be doing in, with each other is investing. We need to invest in, in each other, in our families, in our communities, in our culture in a way that doesn't feel like an invasion or an infection. And that's not easy to do. No. That's why it's so difficult. You can't just come in with a whole bunch of money and build all this stuff and expect people to come and, uh, you know, and spend money there. You know, you, that's not how our culture works. I mean, people don't trust it. No wonder they either take what Biden and the Dems did for granted or aren't even aware of it at all. And when I say granted, I mean, that's all this ARPA money, this uh, American Rescue um, Plan um, that money, millions per county that's out there millions and it's being spent so probably already spent for a lot of people nobody even knew i can't even believe it we could have done something bigger with that stuff you know we should have pooled all of those millions and did a massive project together what republican politicians too often do is vote no on the bill raise money on calling it socialism or communism, and make certain their businesses and families are the first in line to receive checks in hopes no one is managing the ledger quite yet. Now, that sounds like Rodney Miller now, does uh, Rodney Davis. Yeah, oh yeah, that is Rodney Davis. Um, the deeper it is, the longer the FOIA request often takes. Did any Republican vote for that bill? No. Will that alter anyone's vote in November? I, I, maybe a few. But will it energize people to get out to vote this November? 
Jim's passed the direct payment, child tax credit, you know, which should be an easy one to support. It's likely going to go away without action from people who normally don't participate, right? Not by itself. <laughs> Jim's have not figured out that you have to be out there. You have to actually have been out there on a consistent basis, not just when the election comes up, um, you know, but all the time. You have to build relationships with people that's when they trust what you have to say um, or trust more of what you have to say on the other hand the republicans are for eliminating their cleverly labeled death tax which now sounds very interesting um, with all this death that we've had now the sad reality is that if eliminated it only would impact a state's valued over 12 million are some politicians only on the side of talking about being for life while the others they point at and blame for everything are the ones actually doing something to support that line? Which party is on the side of the living? Who is only out to talk about being for children and families? If it's to judge them for their individuality, yeah, that's what I see Mary Miller doing. But I don't see the Democrats doing anything in that district either. And they've been raising Tons of money on Mary Miller and Ronnie Davis. They even demand that we don't educate our children about objective reality. Instead, replacing it with a fabricated one that distorts American history and rejects reason. You know what? I bet anybody could read that and see something different. We are a stronger, better nation when we learn from history. We should seek out other sources that challenge our views. Bipartisan efforts can strengthen from debate, challenge, review, amend, and then we can ascend. You know, infrastructure spending in America has been an often sought goal, but the finish line has never actually been crossed until last year. It's the most significant investment in our nation and a generation. You know what? Unfortunately, it's probably not near enough. And, um, yeah. And Republicans like you know, Rodney Davis, they turned against it. You know, they, he talked big about infrastructure for a decade, right? For a decade. And he couldn't vote for that. What a... I don't know. What a... Something. <laughs> they backtracked on infrastructure while plotting oppositional public health messages that are eliminating not only their own supporters, but have also harmed vital consumers in their struggling economies. Yeah, we already had it bad. We didn't need any worse... And this is it, when you think. You've got to think about this. So, I know this is true, right? But, you know, there were hardly any restrictions, um, you know, in most of the businesses that um, were in these rural counties in Illinois. Uh, they, you know, the, you know, of course, Governor Pritzker, you know, he put down the law, right? The, uh, these executive orders that everybody hated so much, including the Democrats. And, um, and that was like the best practice, right? Well, these rural counties just did whatever they wanted. And you know what the Republicans did? They went out and acted like they all these counties were being forced to do what, the uh, what, what Governor Pritzker um, you know, ordered. And they weren't. It wasn't happening. And they knew it. They were raising money at those places. You know, they were raising campaign money. You know, those, so it's a bunch of bull, really. Bunch of bull. And anybody who looks at it clearly knows. Right? They know it. Um, so, what was it that has caused our, our economy not to bounce back? And that's a real good question. The people still haven't come out like they used to. And um, there's going to be another wave of businesses go down. You just know it. That's, you know, that, that's what the inflation will do with a downturn in the economy. Yeah. Mm. So if anyone has not listened to a wide cross-section of people directly and tragically impacted by this virus, it becomes painfully clear that we all learn different lessons. Sometimes the lesson is our own resilience. Others learn different lessons. We all learn differently, which is why our education system shouldn't be as sugar, sugar cookie cutter as some on the fringe, right? 
now demand we make it. On foreign policy, Biden deserves tough, thoughtful analysis as well as patience from all of us. He deals with these new and old threats, and this is back back in January. Oh my God, things have blown up since then. And uh, I'm not even going to go into all this crap uh, because, like, I know how right that was, but that's just going to divide people. We could decide to renew. Uh, okay, so this is it. Um, we all need to stop this blame game and start seeing reality for what it is. It's not some opportunity to stick the knife into her opposition repeatedly and with glee, forgetting that her opposition is both human and American. We're supposed to be on the same side, even when we disagree. I would say especially when we disagree. It is not a long walk from promoting American weakness during one of the most tense times in Eastern Europe since the Berlin Wall fell to supporting insurrection on, on a 2nd January 6th. What happened on the 1st, January 6th, was unacceptable, violent, and a break with our Democratic Republic history of peaceful transition of power. What was represented that day by the former president and the riled-up mob was our worst impulses fueled by demands to have it only their way and to hell with the rest of us and anyone who stands in their way. The intensity and divisions that linger from this period we endure together as a nation. It will take time to dissipate but not when the flames and dying embers are constantly and on a 24-7 basis fanned by former Trump officials that are more interested in winning a primary than standing for principles that we must renew daily or those principles will perish. You know, I will never give up on people or principle. You know, thoughtfulness does not eliminate toughness. However, we must begin to listen to one another again so we can begin to heal our nation. We can decide to renew the spirit every day. When we start to do this without any thought, we will have moved through this struggle and onto our next as a nation. We will overcome, I believe it. We just have to believe it all together. Thank you so much. doing this. You're a pony. Just like me. I'm nothing like you. I'm more than you'll ever be. It's time you learned a lesson. It's time that you understand. Don't ever count on anybody else in this or any other land. I once hoped for friendship to find a place among my kind But those were the childish wishes of someone who was blind Open up your eyes